Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. And we're introducing some new segments called the Real Estate Syndication Show Highlights, where we are bringing you a look back at episodes focused on a specific topic that we believe added a lot of value to you in your syndication journey. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also hit the notification bell so you can continue to know when new shows come out. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Jeremy Roll. Thanks for being on the show, Jeremy. No, no problem. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. As a passive investor, what should we even be thinking about when we're thinking about diversifying our investments? Yeah, great question. And you know, for those of you out there listening, I'm very conservative. So disclaimers, I'm not a financial advisor or an accountant or attorney or anything. So everything's just my perspective as an investor, but I have about 17 years of investing experience at this point when we're recording it as a passive investor. So, you know, I think that diversification is critical for passive investors specifically. And it's probably critical even if you're active. And the reason why I say that is because as a passive investor, I like to tell people that I trade control for diversification. That's literally my mindset. And so obviously, there's a lot more to passive investing than just that. But think about that carefully, trading control for diversification. And Essentially, when I'm passive, I have a very, very small piece of ownership in an LLC. So for any voting items, my vote is somewhat inconsequential. Obviously, it counts to an extent, but it's a very small percentage. And therefore, because I don't have that control and I can't really make decisions on a day-to-day basis, the diversification is absolutely key. I think a lot of people will relate to the idea that you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. And you can think of Madoff, unfortunately, in those types of incidents. And the thing that kills me about a Madoff story, aside from what he did, was that some people have put all their eggs in that one basket and lost everything. And I'm guessing some people probably put 5%, 10%, whatever the percentage was, and it probably hurt a lot, but it probably didn't cause like a huge life blow up. And how you approach diversification can literally make the difference between your financial life blowing up and it just being a little bit of a problem. That's not an exaggeration, it's just a fact. And so diversification to me is just a very, very important topic, especially because as a passive investor, I give up control. Okay. Now, I like that. Yeah, trading control for diversification. Yeah. In your bio, it says across 70 opportunities, more than $1 billion worth of real estate. I mean, so you're, you're very diversified. You're very experienced. In all fairness, because I've been doing this full-time for a long time now, and I've been doing it full-time for 12 years and in general 17, I have the time to become what I call hyper-diversified. And so because I'm really low risk, I take a more hyper-diversified approach, which I think is a little extreme. And with for most people, it doesn't make sense, both because they don't have the time to become hyper-diversified. They may not be doing it full-time. And they may not even want to become hyper Like People out there may not agree with the concept of being in so many opportunities. For me, it helps me to sleep really well at night. But you know, everyone's going to have their own opinion as to what the right amount of diversification is for them. I can tell you that anecdotally, and having this conversation with many you know, fellow investors over the years... I find that the most common level of diversification people typically seek if they really go out there and have a strategy towards diversification is possibly having somewhere between 2% and 5% of investable cash that they're planning on putting in this type of asset class and passive you know, opportunities per opportunity. So in other words, they're spreading it across somewhere between at 5%, it's 20, 2%, it's a little bit higher. 2% is probably a bit extreme, it's 50. Some people actually try to get it across 10 one of the biggest challenges in passive investing is that if you're being really careful, 
and you're really, really trying to do the right thing and be cautious with what you're going into, it's going to take a while to get proper diversification. I don't mean days or months. I mean years, honestly. So it's a slow and steady progression, just like real estate typically is, but it really pays off in the long term as far as helping to reduce a lot of the risk. You know, the amount that's invested is something I wanted to talk about. And you hit on this a little bit. So let's say, you know, someone has, you know, a half a million dollars they're wanting to, okay, you know, okay, they've learned about the syndication business. They've been in the stock market possibly, you know, most of their career. Now they've been exposed to this type of investment possibility or opportunities. And now, okay, we're going to take a million dollars and we're going to invest it into the syndication type investment. But I wanted to kind of break that down a little bit as far as the amounts that are invested, you know, possibly the asset classes or across how many deals and sponsors, you know, and I'd love for us to get into some of that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, your example of 500,000 is probably a good one and, and somewhat realistic for some people listening. So, you know, in that case, I mean, if you're asking me, my one person's opinion, the most common thing I would probably see is someone taking 500,000 and saying, okay, I'm going to divide it up into 10 tranches of 50,000 because it's fairly common to find opportunities of minimum investments of 50,000. It's harder to find them, for example, at 25, but they're out there. Maybe that person will say, you know what, I'm going to divide it up into 50, but if I can find a few 25s, I'll go into those as well. And now they're going to be in more than 10. So everyone's going to have a different opinion about what the right level, like it's very subjective, right? There's no right answer, so to speak. It's In the end of the day, it's really about comfort level. But I would also argue that if you tell me that I've got $100,000 and I'm putting it into one opportunity or two opportunities, my strong opinion would be that's just not enough diversification. Uh, one thing that I think is important to consider too is that what I've concluded after all these years is I like to get diversified across asset classes, geographies, and operators. So if I can diversify across all three, then I'm really well diversified. And we can get into those specifically, but I think all three are very important to consider. Yeah. So, you know, I'd mentioned like the asset class or, you know, someone's familiar and comfortable with multifamily, but you say, okay, we need to put a portion of your investments into mobile home parks. Well, you know, wait a minute, I've never heard of investing in mobile home parks before, or, you know, I'm not as comfortable with that type of investment, Jeremy, you know, but you're saying I should really take a portion of this capital and, and put it in that asset class as well. Is that what you're saying? There's something to be said for somebody learning multifamily, for example, really, really well and just sticking to it. But I can give you so many of these, what I call 1% risks of an opportunity blowing up or even an asset class blowing up, right? And just an easy example for everybody to understand is that if somebody said 10 years ago, I'm just going to go 100% into retail because I understand it. I'll do some large malls. I'll do some strip centers, but I'm going to do retail and I understand it. Today, they may not be in the best shape and that may have not been the best diversification strategy. And it's very possible that today where we sit, in 10 years from now, if someone went all in on one asset class that looks okay today, it may not be okay in 10 years. So this goes back to like, you know, if you're going all in on one asset class, then to an extent, you're still going into the same type of basket. And if it happens to be that basket's number type comes up, so to speak, not a good thing. So I personally like to get as diversified as possible. But I know there's also a side of opinion that would say just get to know one asset class as well as you can. I just don't personally fully agree with it. You know, going into diversifying, are you going to always do the minimum amount, you know, per opportunity? Not necessarily. You know, if in your example, if somebody had $5 million and they were looking at $50,000 opportunities, so what is that? That's 100 opportunities to deploy $5 million. That doesn't make sense, right? I think the best way to look at it is try and figure out how many slices you want to cut up of the pie. And then once you determine the number of slices, figure out if it's possible to get diversified across the asset classes, geographies, and operators. And I want to just get into that a little bit because I think it's really important to understand each one. So from an operator perspective, we go back to the Madoff problem, right? You may 
want to invest in with one operator, even if they function across multiple asset classes, some of them do. What happens if that operator seems completely kosher today and the background check looks fine, but one day they just turn not kosher and the next thing you know, they picked up and left to the Bahamas, right? That's what I call like many of the 1% risks you can never avoid. And one of the ways to reduce those risks is to diversify out of necessarily having too much money into one operator. So it's always great. Franklin, I love making a bet on good people. That's what primarily I look to do. And when I can find someone I'm convinced is good to really like double and triple that bet, but not to the point where you're overexposed into one person going back to the Madoff idea. And then from a geography perspective, you know, that's actually a question of demand, which is hard to forecast necessarily five or 10 years down the line, either for a specific asset class, or maybe even like the economy within a specific geography can change over time, right? The one that's really easy to understand from a geographical perspective is being careful from a weather pattern or whatnot. So there's earthquakes that have certain risks, there's hurricanes that have certain risks, and there's tornadoes that have certain risks. And they're in different parts of the country. There's frozen pipes that have certain risks in more asset classes like mobile home parks than others. I can give you some examples, but I specifically try to be really careful with geographic risks by asset class to help reduce that as well. And that is something to consider, I think, both from a weather risk, but also for economic risk that may be hard to forecast down the line. And then we talked about asset classes a little, but the reality is that the demand for asset classes shifts over time. And so let me give you some good examples. So for those of you who haven't heard me before, like the way that I invest is very low risk, passive cash flow. I literally want to go to sleep tonight, wake up tomorrow, and not much has changed because I live off the cash flow. So I got into this in 2002 for predictability. And I got out of the stock market because of a lack of predictability for my long-term retirement account. That's really what the driver was for me. So if I'm thinking about predictability, the question is, what asset class will provide predictable cash flow for the next 10 years? And which areas will in asset class make sense? And so I would argue that Self-storage, okay? Florida and Texas, number top two states with the projected migration of population coming in because of retirees in the next 10 years because of the aging population. Well, when you start thinking about that, what are they going to demand? They're probably going to demand some self-storage because they're going to be downsizing and they're probably going to be long-term users of those self-storage because they want to keep their stuff that they've had their whole life, right? So if you get into the right locations, again, going back to geography with the right asset class paired, you can start to find that predictability. But at the same time, that asset class in the Northeast where people are moving away from, and I'm just using that as a generalization, there's always good locations in a specific area, but the concept of someone moving from the North down to the South, what's the demand going to be in the North for that same asset class in five to 10 years? A little more uncertain. So you want to start to layer these types of a little bit more complex thinking to try to forecast where that predictable cash flow is going to be, at least in terms of how I invest. So that's why all of these three are really, really important. Our guest is Elena Trigub. Thanks for being on the show, Elena. Thank you for having me, Brittany. So we read that you help a select group of people build their wealth passively. Tell us a little about that or elaborate on that. So initially, I was reaching out just like everyone else to my friends and family telling about what I do and, and how I do it. But over time, I started getting feedback and having people reach out to me and ask me, hey, how do you do it? How can I get involved? And what is syndication? How does it work? And now it's all about helping those people get acclimated, educate them on how the syndication process works and more or less do the handholding for the initial few syndications. And after that, pretty much they understand the process and all it takes is explaining them 
would each particular investment entail, what kind of pros and cons each of them has, and help them select the investments that work best in their case. Because again, I strongly recommend to folks to diversify. And diversification doesn't mean to just diversify at Wall Street. You can diversify even within the syndication world. Number one, you can invest in multiple asset classes. Number two, you can invest in different markets. Number three, you can invest across multiple deal sponsors. So there are tons of ways to diversify even within syndication world. And by no means I'm telling people to completely get out of the stock market. No, you can stay in the stock market and continue investing in stocks, ETFs, bonds, mutual funds, and whatever else. But my main point is always diversify. Keep a fraction of your investments in the stock market, but also invest in real estate and invest in other things. So I like how you really focus on educating your investors and educating others, you know, in the syndication business. So you talked about you first reached out to to family, friends, and, you know, just really a lot of just letting people know what you're doing, right? But then they have questions. Well, what does this mean? And, you know, you say this word syndication and people are like, well, what is that? So help us educate others. You know, what should that conversation look like? How do I explain that to maybe someone who's, They've never had any rental property, but they'd like to own real estate. So how do we explain the syndication business to a potential investor? Sure. So syndication entails pulling people money together to buy a real estate. And when we're buying large commercial real estate, obviously we have to pay for the down payment. We have to pay for the renovation costs and we have to pay closing costs. And by pulling the people money together, we're able to pull all those money together and get the financing in addition to that. For folks that are potentially interested in syndication, I normally try to ask them a few questions and ask, are you someone who has the funds but not the desire to be an active landlord? Or are you someone who has the means but don't want to be involved to be the landlord? If they answer yes to these questions, that means that they have interest to be passive investors. And then I even make a parallel comparison with the stock market. Just like you buy stocks or bonds on the stock market, in a similar way, you can invest in a syndication by basically reviewing the investment summary of a particular investment, asking a few questions and deciding whether this investment for you or not. Once you invest in a syndication, at that point, your work is over. You just sit back, relax, and enjoy the rewards of syndications in the form of periodic dividends and then potential capital events when you can maybe get the money back during the cash out refinance or at the end of the life cycle when the property is sold and you receive the fraction of the gain being a partial property owner. So what does that mean, receive a partial gain or the gain? If we're talking to an investor, how do we explain that? Again, I can make a parallel by comparing it to selling a single family home. Someone bought a single family house that needed some work. You renovate that house, you put the tenants in that house, you wait for at least a year and one day because you don't want to incur short-term capital gain. And I'm sorry, the former tax accountant speaking in me. And you sell the house as long as it's been over a year and one day for a profit. When you sell in a single family house, you get the full profit to sell. But when you are a partner in a syndication, your return is based on your initial investment. That's why your gain will be based 
on your initial ownership investment as well, and you'll receive the game. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.